What's going on, everybody? My name is Rob, and I'm the host of The Curated Culture, a weekly podcast dedicated to dissecting the latest and greatest news from around the world of tech and pop culture. Now, we all know the internet can be a busy, noisy place, so let us calm that noise for you. Join us as we discuss the latest and greatest topics from the people and sources that matter most. Check us out every Thursday as we jump into fresh, original content, new interviews, and a host of other subjects that we know you'll find interesting. So jump in whatever your favorite podcast app is and search The Curated Culture. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. And in the meantime, we'll catch y'all on the air. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome back to Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike, and as promised, I am here with my brother, the master of meals, Nick. Yes, the legends never cease. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, everybody. <laughs> legends never cease. Welcome back. It feels like it's been forever. Maybe it's just our technical difficulties this morning. Well, that's part of it, but it has been a little while. As per usual, our schedules are chaotic and hectic, and we haven't really seen each other much, so it has been a moon or two. Yeah, it's back when we first started this. We saw each other all the time. We talked while we were at work all the time. And it's just getting ridiculous where we can't sit and chat as much as we used to. Yeah, and, and it really is. And as bad as my schedule is, yours just got, you know, turned up a couple notches. So now it's it's almost impossible. Like, I kind of think we should just script these and I will read mine like a movie role and just email it to you and you can piece them together. <laughs> I am not that talented. Not at all. I'm not an actor, so that would sound terrible. Right. So we'll just have to keep winging it like this and see how it goes. But hopefully we can get together a couple times a week and just uh, stay ahead of the curve as much as we can. Uh, We'll try to. So the topic that I picked this week is because I'm tired of watching the verbal fist fights. I know this won't stop them, but the verbal fist fights that we see every day on Facebook talking about the future of vehicles and what the mode or fuel should be you know this as well as anybody else when we build these we post them and everybody gets in this massive brawl the comment section and it's all answered usually within the show but they're not listening to the show they just want to get it they just want to get in a fight yeah they 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 go right past the information straight to the throat they just go straight to arguing it it's kind of funny i mean the first couple times this happened i took it real personally like really bad and now it's just when you when you post something that's kind of controversial people just come out to run their mouth they they don't have a clue these keyboard warriors strap on their vest and go to battle (laughs) so i know that people who are in those comment sections you know attempt to defend and all these fun things but This is my half attempt to diffuse some of that, at least through the sustainability circle and community, because there isn't a need. So there isn't really a reason for those fights. And it's because I think those fights are based on like black and white information. I'm on this team. I'm on that team. Very few people know the intricacies that go along with what is going to run a vehicle in the future. 
And I don't mean way in the future and flying cars, which we thought we'd already have. I mean, where it will realistically be in 50 to 80 years. And yeah. The, it, go ahead. I was just going to say, these aren't even black and white. These are the the acceptance and belief of black and white. The, the, all these people here is a title and they pick their side. It's worse than team sports. It's just they don't know any information like it's it's ridiculous because really life is in the gray area you know what i mean like you have one side of something and another side but usually most people operate in the middle in in practicality but when it comes to just just talking about it oh my lord everyone's an expert (laughs) well and let me remind everybody that 90 plus percent and i'm making that up but it's probably pretty close of every complex problem needs a hybrid solution that both people are both right and wrong at the same time if they have a singular solution. There's a word for that. Oh, what is it? Uh, so tip of my tongue, compromise. <laughs> right. And generally, uh, I heard someone say this one time that uh, uh, in, in real life, a compromise is where one side doesn't get what they want, but they get enough of it in a way that the other side can't complain. And yeah. essentially what it means is, you know, oh, that doesn't suck. It's it's a it's a nice level that doesn't suck. Yeah, I, you know me. I'm going to blame it on, like, the media games. But everybody thinks they have their own team when the reality is going to be so much different. The reality is going to be a broad mix of experimental technologies, useful technologies that have been here for many years some of these newer ones that are becoming easier to use and it's all going to be situational now i'm going to talk primarily about vehicles but there are all kinds of motorized tools that can use different things different sources you know we talked about when when there was energy possible energy break uh, breakthroughs coming down the pipeline oh, this could be for everything, but it won't be everything for now. Well, the now will be just a bunch of different things mixed to see which ones work best. We're going to live through a technological experiment. Well, yeah, I mean, to be fair, when you say this could be for everything, that's relative to the people saying it. Uh, Because if you you really think, and I don't mean like anyone that has specialities in, in, in certain areas. I just mean, if you just sit down as a normal person and think about the amount of things around you that have some type of internal combustion engine or electric engine or hydraulic, anything, any kind of parts that move and shake, not all of them are meant for human transport. And if they are, they're not meant for transit in a way that you think like just because something has a motor doesn't mean you're driving it to work. You know, construction equipment all have motors. They all move. They have hydraulics. They have all this stuff. You're not driving those down to the office. I mean, Maybe if you live on the uh, on the, the site, but they're made for one thing. You know, take a train. Train has a purpose. Yeah, you can ride a train. You're not taking a train to work. You're getting it from point A, going in a straight line to point B. There, there's all these different areas where you can kind of experiment, see what the most efficient method of energy is going to be. Yeah, and when we look at these pieces, we, we need to look at, we're going to look at personal transportation, but it, it can be extrapolated down all the way down to your mower. Like I said, when I first moved here, I have an electric lawnmower because my yard is very small and it confused everybody. It sounded like I was mowing the lawn with a fan and everybody came out with their head cock, you know, so. Well, you kind there, of are. <laughs> there's already these technologies out and about. We're just talking about from the next 50 to 80 years, what we are likely to see. And I'll well, tell you, none of it, None of it leads to an argument because I cannot think of a single situation 
where you and I should get into a verbal fist fight over a lawnmower. That's because we're not very good Americans, Michael. But two beers in, a bottle of ranch dressing, and I'll tell you what, we find a place to argue. <laughs> a bottle? Of, I'm not drinking ranch. I dislike ranch. <laughs> so we're not very good Americans. <laughs> Keep this in mind. I'm I, trying to frame it around a lifetime. Now, granted, my remaining lifetime is much smaller than some of our listeners. So if you're younger, I'm trying to encompass pretty much everybody so that when, you know, angry grandpa starts going on a rant, we have at least a base understanding of the reality. And so that's what I want to go through today. Look at the pros and cons, look at what they'll probably be used for and go from there. Cause I know we, everybody fights on this stuff because of emissions. We, we look at as emissions as one of the largest challenges we're going to have in humanity over the next 200 years. I would like to say that that time is shorter, but it's probably over the next 200 years because currently leaders have to, in their, in their own words, retire before change can start. So I, I just want to go through some of these things. So we're not always so frustrated. I know climate stuff is big. It creates frustrations. People get angry, it becomes arguments. Doesn't necessarily have to. We know we're doing our little bit, little bit. And the now, today, it's just additional knowledge. Well, there's a lot of a uh... A lot of frustration that comes with this topic because a lot of it is in the general public's eyes impossible to prove. There are studies you can do on some things, but like when you when you you look at the grand scope of things like the Earth, we've been alive in in our our knowledge in terms of our memory, like what we have written recorded, such a short amount of time. We have no way of actually knowing what part of the Earth cycle we existed, and so like with with the Earth warming and stuff like that, you know. I read a paper the other day that said we're still coming out of the last ice age. And I don't know one way or the other to know what's true and what's not. I know what I read. And I know that if we're making a problem worse, I don't want to add to the problem that it that already exists. But I could see the, the areas people get so hot about. They get so angry about. I don't understand the frustration and the and the cross-eyed anger. But I see the the disbelief, you know, the skepticism. I, I, I see where that can be relevant. I just don't see the reason to fight about it. If people just had conversations, things could be a lot smoother. So first things first on what you just said. I think it's I think it's pretty well proven that yes, we are coming out of the uh, out of an ice age, but that is that's a misleading term. I think it's pretty well proven that we're having these issues. It is it isn't that it that temperatures are going up. It's that temperatures are going up at an unbelievable rate. Well, that's what I mean. Like, how do you find unbelievable? Like, how do we know what's right and what's wrong? We have cycles over the last hundred years. What we what we don't see is this rate of increase that mm -hmm. is so beyond lopsided that seems to correlate with human activity. So when everything points to one spot, it does make it you know, pretty reasonably clear that why this accelerated rate is happening. It is a, a, a handful of people who like to cause the doubt. Because here's the deal, and then we'll go back into the show. But the deal is when you're 95% sure, it's probably a good idea to work on the actions that solve it just in case. Because there's always going to be snake oil salesmen touting the 5% because they have some advantage from it. And that's where we live right now, where pretty much anybody who studies are starting to get anxiety over what they're seeing 
but people who don't study or have hired a 1z 2z studies for themselves are saying well you never really know that re- that never really know is what they use to extend their financial gain much like cigarette companies did with eh, we don't, there's no definitive proof that it causes cancer or leaded fuels they use the same type of argument it's it is the same thing now we just have to work at it so this is where this episode comes in because the fight is over internal combustion and what about all these other options right yeah i mean if i want to put like a thruster on my car like a a turbine or a hydrogen thruster why not who's to stop me michael (laughs) i think that would be the best and fastest straight line to work or to the afterlife i could think of i think what will stop you is the technology of installation i I read on how you how you build the turbine. They don't look like that complicated. I think the wiring would screw me, but I think I could do it. Listen, it, it's intentionally built kind of kind of loose, so as it as it actually functions, it tightens down. It doesn't leak. So if you're telling me that I have to build something half like like half cocked, I could do it. Not really. I mean, this is just me talking smack. <laughs> okay, let's go to internal combustion. And I know more than. 80% of the people listening right now, the hairs went up on the back of their neck because that is that is the war right now, internal combustion. I can tell you, automotive industry is actively working to minimize the amount of internal combustion engines, that they are greatly increasing funding to other technologies, and there's bridge technologies in the middle. So internal combustion is basically just using gasoline, diesel, propane, any kind of fossil fuel, create combustion within the chamber that converts that explosion, that release of energy into movement. It is by far the most inefficient heat pump we've ever created, but we've used it for over 100 years. And just like a short we had not long ago, I want to remind everybody that when internal combustion engine was created, everybody hated it too because the horse was so much better. The horse didn't need gas. The horse could could go longer distances and didn't break down nearly as much. There was a large group of people who fought internal combustion engine and its transportation because the horse was far superior. That's what I see today when everybody freaks out about new technologies because we have internal combustion engine. We have not evolved in our arguments one bit. It is the same thing from a hundred years ago. Yeah, and it's kind of pulling this one out of the out of the rafters here. It's because people fear what they don't understand, Mike. They don't like change. It's been a while since I've heard that. Yeah, well, I mean, I try, I try to like calm it down, but because every single video we do, every recording, every meeting, every conversation comes back to I don't like change. It's just <laughs> it's, that's all it is. It's no matter. No matter what we talk about, it's it's always people being afraid of something new because it contradicts what they're used to. So I try not to pull it out all the time, but um, I, on the same token, I will always quote Stan Lee, and that's some of his brilliant writing. So I, I happen to really love that phrase. Well, and I want to, I'm hoping that when we do shows like this, it gives more of a baseline understanding so people don't have to act like that. Now, I don't have any delusion that everybody listens to us but at least some do and that they don't have to have this fight you don't have to argue and scream over technology we know that emissions are bad we know that it puts a a tremendous amount of carbon into the air 
We know the oceans, which are our largest heat sink on this planet, are becoming saturated, so more and more go up into the atmosphere, creating heat, melting ice caps, and having less reflection back, creating a, a negative feedback loop. These are all really easy things, but we have to understand that internal combustion will still probably have a place in the world for the next 50 to 80 years. If it's not you know, automotive vehicles, it may be machinery. It may be generators. There's a lot of different kinds of motors out there and that it isn't going to go 100% away. It's just going to be greatly decreased. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of what we're, when you talk about emissions, you're not really referencing weed whackers and lawnmowers or, you know, generators that you're going to use once or twice a year during a bad storm. Emissions primarily come from, you know, automobiles, trains, planes, I, um, transport, you know, where we move people and, and, you know, giant cruise ships, that kind of stuff. Like there, there's a lot of emissions that come out of that stuff on a daily basis. Uh, so that's probably like where we're really going to see the focus on trying to convert those power sources to something a little more green. Now, I don't know much about the hybrids. I haven't heard a lot of good things about them. To me, they always sound like they're kind of crap, but I'm hoping that as time goes on, they make them better. Well, with internal combustion, the reason why people ha- cling on to them so much is because, first of all, they're, we're conditioned. It's got an infrastructure. There's a convenience method to it. I've heard people talk about, you know, hey, with other methods, you could hit it and it explodes. Well, you're running around with a bunch of fuel that is literally designed to be combustible. So it, it, we're just conditioned that this infrastructure is the best, just like in the past. The horse infrastructure was the best. This is temporarily true. The The efficiency of a heat pump as a motor is bad. It is not a great design. It's a little embarrassing that it's been our primary use for the last hundred years. I don't know if it's embarrassing. I think that with the time when it was when it was you know created, I think it was a revolutionary thing. And I think the fact that we get stuck with something that works is embarrassing. The other thing about internal combustion is people are accustomed to the range. People have range anxiety with all other methods, even though they're not dramatically different. A internal combustion engine, depending on from vehicle to vehicle, can be anywhere between 250 miles of range per tank to 450 miles range per tank, which is not dramatically different from other methods, at least these days. Now, your your hybrids, as you were as you were talking about earlier, hybrids, I think, were always missold. They should not be considered a electric vehicle is that i think it was gm that really pushed the concept of a hybrid being a being an electric vehicle because it only uses it under certain circumstances Mm -hmm. the difference for today's hybrids is that they're more range extended so you still have the fuel tank you still have the same range you still have the comfort of being able to use that infrastructure but you've got a battery set in the back that gives you 60 to 80 extra miles or you can use those miles in the city, and then if the battery gets too low, the internal combustion engine kicks on and charges it. It was an attempt to learn EV without necessarily being purely EV. Yeah, I agree with that. But like most things, when they come up with something new, even if it's like a new design or a first-time design, they push it like it's the newest, hottest thing. And when the design isn't either so well marketed properly or designed well it puts a bad taste in people's mouths and then they don't want to go go back and try it again 
Now, we learned a lot of new technology through the early hybrids. There's uh, the regenerative braking, being able to collect kinetic energy from your forward motion as you hit the brake to put energy back into the battery. That's a pretty cool invention. The The fact that hybrids extend their mileage up to maybe 500 miles. And also remember, it can go further because it's based on how much you put back into the battery through regenerative braking. So the electric motor can function in different ways. But you still have all those same comforts with increased torque. Because that what it really should have been billed as is, you know, this amazing torque. <laughs> because that's what they're doing with a lot of newer vehicles, using the EV for their torque and then kicking into the internal combustion once up to speed. But hybrids came out, they were very expensive at first. You were not going to recover your cost difference, really. And so it was poorly sold to the public, which created kind of a backlash. Well, anything that's poorly sold to the public is going to create a backlash. When you when you take the amount of money something like that costs, and you kind of mess with people's livelihood, because if it costs that much money, you are messing with the average person's livelihood. The, the normal blue-collar worker can't just spend fifty or $60,000 like it's nothing and then not be upset about when they don't get what they paid for. It's just not... It's not, it's not, it's not good business practice to, you know, make your clientele angry. Well, and there is a place for hybrid. It is, it is the bridge product for those scared of infrastructure, which by the way, funny thing about this scared of infrastructure thing, very few people travel three and 400 miles at a time. Most people are between 20 and 50 miles and any EV ma manages that well. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's no doubt about that. When you were talking about the range for vehicles, I was thinking about my old green truck. My old green Dodge had a huge gas tank. It was like 36 gallons. And it got about 20 miles to a gallon, about 21 on the highway. I went to Chicago and back, drove there on one tank of gas. Now, that is not something the average vehicle can do. And that truck couldn't do it if it didn't have a gas tank the size of a bathtub. But right. it did. But it did, and and that's kind of really when you look at a vehicle's range, that's really all we're really defining is how much fuel can you carry because the the vehicle's designed to keep the battery inside of the charge. So if it's a, if it's a if it's a gas vehicle, like how much gas can you carry? That's your range, and that becomes the issue with these these vehicles. Even though people don't need to go hundreds of miles, well, what if I break down? If you drive 40 miles a day, why does it matter if you can go 300? If you're going to plug it in at work or plug it in when you get home, why does that matter? I think right. part of their, their their hesitancy is that there's not just a service. You can't just call a service station because the infrastructure doesn't exist. You can't just call roadside and be like, hey, my EV stopped working. I need someone to come out and, you know, hit the reset button. I don't, I don't really know. I don't have any good jokes for this. Like, I mean, I don't really, <laughs> I, I don't have a, uh, there's no defrag setting on the car. So I don't really know what to say about that. I'm just, I think a lot of the, the, the apprehension comes from the lack of infrastructure. Well, and that changes as early adopters use these vehicles and the infrastructure rolls out just like any other technology. There's early adopters for the internet. There was early adopters for wireless service, there's always some who pay for the infrastructure. Yeah. And, and that is where we can sit, stomp. We have family friends that sit there, stomp their feet, pout, put their lip out. I'm never getting it. They never have to. In our lifetime, there will always be some internal combustion option. It just may be more expensive. It may be less uh, sexy because I think they're going to start at some point defaulting those back to, you know, just be a car the smallest they can make so at mm -hmm. some point it's just going to be it's just going to be an option 
and that option may be less appealing and you'll get people who are you know hands on hips i'm i'm not changing and they're going to drive around in a little car and be upset because they are refusing to move forward but is ev fully forward that's the other part of the the argument because some of those people who fight electric vehicles have valid points today now does it mean it's a valid point in 100 years probably no. not but they do have some today it isn't a debate factor it's a decision factor it isn't that everybody has to convince everybody else which they've decided to be a part of it's that they're making a decision for their own life if that's the case drive your internal combustion more and more will move to ev more and more will be feeding from a, a dirty electrical grid and when we get the right leadership in this nation they will fix that they will fix the electrical grid so that it isn't quite as dirty well they're gonna have to fix it otherwise if they don't fix the infrastructure it's not going to support an entire population drive electric vehicles and yeah then there's the notion of when people look at the vehicle for their like their daily driver and you see a car that hey that looks cool it's got it's got a real nice look it has all these great features but then you look at let's say you buy a tesla and that's the only brand i really know about well so that's what i'm saying uh product placement um if you buy a tesla and then let's say one of your batteries goes out within like a couple years i don't think they're warranted i watched a video online about a guy that had to get it replaced and he was so angry at the cost of it he said he could just buy a whole other car and it was yeah. just it sounded kind of outlandish like you have to warranty that stuff like it's that's one of the greatest things about buying a new car in general is that it comes with a warranty <laughs> right well and so I believe you're talking about the video where the guy blew his own car up. And that was, first of all, Tesla's warranty on batteries is eight year, 150,000 miles. Okay. So it is far, far superior to most internal combustion. If you are replacing all of the batteries through a Tesla on a premium sedan, it can be about $13,000. That's a lot of money. It's, it's the same as replacing an engine. But remember, eight years, 150000 by then, that cost is going to be greatly reduced. And so as we use more technology, as we, as we are you know, getting more batteries, remember lithium is nearly 100% recyclable, those costs continue to drop. Now, I'm not a huge fan of batteries to begin with for long-term solution, but it is weaning us off of a whole different drug, which is the oil and gasoline. So most of the things that you see online are sensationalized. You said that it seemed unbelievable. It's because usually they are. And he cannot replace his $60,000 high-end Tesla for $13,000 in batteries. So it, it, keep that in mind. We have family members who have always spoke against electric vehicles who are currently drive them and love them. You can also get extended warranties on just the batteries at a reduced cost. There's a lot of different things that you could do to hedge those bets in your favor. So when it comes to electric vehicles, most of their ranges are between 200 and 320 miles per charge. Which is plenty for the average consumer. That's, that's plenty. Oh, we, we, you and I have a friend who came from California in his EV. So yes, it, it does require additional planning. I'm going to stop here, stop here, and so on and so forth. But most people used to, well, in the past, people used to plan their stops either way, to stop and get gas or to stop and get something to eat or any of those kinds of things on these cross-country trips. I'm not saying mm -hmm. it. I think the only thing different is he had less locations he could stop. And, and that's also temporary. But he made it here. 
Yeah, ironically enough, in terms of gas motors, actually, I'm going to go switch to tires real quick. Over in in Europe, the Michelin Guide for restaurants, like the the holy grail of like quality restaurants in the world, was originally designed because the Michelin company wanted to sell more tires, so they had to get people driving. So they made a a restaurant and hotel guide that people would travel. They would they they sold these, and people would travel across the, the cross countries. To, it was literally a marketing ploy. And so, I mean, you, yeah, people used to plan their trips. And I think that that's actually kind of romantic in a weird way. Like, yeah, you're going to go on vacation, but you're going to stop here and do this. And you stop here and do this. And by the time you get to your destination, you've already had some great little adventures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's not much different. It's just that is the topic that uh, people who oppose, much like those with who had the horse, have their key set points now. Is EV the end-all, be-all, the, the glory, perfect transportation? Absolutely not, especially with a dirty grid. It isn't necessarily all that much better. We're just centralizing our emissions instead of and risking the electrical grid because we decided that we wouldn't improve it with our infrastructure bill, and it is still rather fragile. But it, EV isn't always perfect. It uses dirty batteries that at some point have to be recycled, and it plugs into a bad grid and it gives range anxiety even if that's unwarranted is that going to be the future of transportation i think partially there'll be a lot of things that will stay electric batteries will get uh, recycled at a near 100 percent rate and it will drive the cost down and electric motors far more efficient than internal combustion far far better at performance than internal combustion will exceed internal combustion. But it isn't the last one or the only one. We're starting to see more and more money being put into hydrogen fuel. So Yes, put a thruster on my car. That's not what that is. Come on, Mike, (laughs) let's go, boom. No, hydrogen fuel is is much simpler than that. You you take hydrogen, the most abundant element in the universe, Mm -hmm. and you run it through an anode. It, it it passes through this anode into a calidus that uh, separates the proton and electron. That electron gets shifted off into the, the circuit where it ends up in a battery, and the proton moves forward, ends up with oxygen, connects to the oxygen, and you end up with water as the what comes out of the exhaust. Now, I have always loved hydrogen fuel as a main energy source within cities and microgrids. I think we've heard me tout it numerous times as the replacement for nuclear that you can hook into your your water system in cities. You can use extra wind, solar, hydro, all of these other options to to desalinate ocean water, add clean water to these infrastructures, and then use electrolysis to separate that the hydrogen and oxygen as needed. By the way, Mm -hmm. oxygen is a cooling gas. That's a yay. It should be bottled and used for hospitals and things of that nature. And then one, once it runs through the system, it just becomes clean, clean water again. So hydrogen fuel is seeing a large investment because other parts of the world, like Brazil, uh, some in Europe, some in China, are starting to use hydrogen fuel for fleet vehicles. They're starting to get enough, uh, enough technology to where they're getting more comfortable with it. And then, so what that happens is, is you end up with very little emissions if you fix the electrical grid, same thing, because you still have electrolysis happening, and that takes a lot of electricity. But 
it, it gives people the comfort of being able to stop at a gas station and fuel up. Yep. It gives, it, you know, it, there's a lot of you, it's familiar. So people are kind of slowly gravitating to it. You still have a battery because you still have regenerative braking. You're still pulling excess wasted motion back as usable energy. It functions like a cue as it produces, it goes into the battery and the battery is what it's using. So you mm-hmm. still have a lot of those same components. It's just a different technology that we're going to see probably more and more over the next 50 to 80 years. But no rocket booster. No rocket. It's not what it's not like the shuttle where you had hydrogen in one tube and oxygen in the other tube. And that's how you got thrust. This is not the same thing. You are not burning the hydrogen. I don't know if you know this historically that freaks people out. That sounds like a fun idea to me. No, no, we've seen blimps that have the Hindenburg is what everybody thinks of when they think of burning hydrogen. That's not what this is. It's a, it is a chemical reaction that releases an electron and it works without emissions. Fine, Michael, ruin my fun. <laughs> so what I foresee in the next 50 to 80 years is a combination based on need. That there's always going to be some combinations of different technologies. You're, you're going to see uh, hydrogen fuel electric, you know, range extended internal combustion where they use it for one purpose, but it kicks back the EV as another purpose. That is becoming more of a technology because we need this. There's a group of people who still exist that we have to bridge the gap with. Mm-hmm. Younger kids are going to pick it up and go, man, electric car is far superior in performance. I just watched a video at one of the meetings I was at. A gentleman had played during our lunch, which was a, a Bugatti and a, I think it's Ducati, the, the motorcycle. Okay. Racing a Tesla Plaid, their highest level of speed, and, a <laughs> lu- and they're Lucid. The Lucid, uh, I don't remember the name of the vehicle, but it's, it's by Lucid Technologies. And both the Bugatti and the motorcycle could not come close. No. In a, well, in a quarter mile. Now, remember, well, quarter mile. I, I can't imagine they would. I mean, if we're talking, okay, let, let's get a couple things straight here. When it comes to, and you already actually already explained this earlier, when it comes to drag racing or any type of racing where you start from a standstill and you have a, an endpoint, like whoever has the most torque wins. It doesn't matter how fast you can go. How fast can you get to how fast you can go is, is, is who's going to win the race. Your acceleration is everything. And you can have all the power in the world and be a super expensive supercar like a Bugatti. But if you can't get it to the ground with instant torque, like I don't know every EV ever made because it's what they have is instant torque. Then you're, you're never going to compete. Like I, I love drag racing. I think it is one of the coolest things to watch. I've always liked it. I just like really crazy mechanical things. I love being on giant ships. I like seeing tanks. I, I like it. I don't know why I've never been able to explain the feeling I get when I go, Ooh, it's just, it's just, I'm like a child. Of course they, I mean, and b- besides, you know, anything that's named after space balls, I mean, it's going to have to win. Right. <laughs> Now, you said instant torque, and that is a huge reason why electric vehicles feel and have this performance feel to them, but also friction. You got to have friction to go along with it. And what happened was, is this Lucid Technologies fast car not only beat the two internal combustion component or opponents, but the Tesla Plaid and ran across the finish line in under 9.3 seconds. Yeah, that's outlandish. 
That yeah. is insanely fast. For anyone that isn't aware of how fast a nine-second car is on a quarter mile, it it it's twice as fast as any production car off the line you're ever going to buy. Like it's not even not even questionable in terms of co- internal combustion. There are guys who buy cars and spend years building motors and transmissions to get that that kind of speed. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, we're talking dragster kind of speeds. Yeah, absolutely. Where, where you start to struggle with the force on your body, not even just control the vehicle. So yeah. these are very, very, very high performance. These are not going to be your everyday drivers, but oh no, even the Chevy Bolt will get your attention at a stoplight. Well, and that's and that's kind of what I mean with the instant torque. And a lot of people just haven't felt it. When anyone that's been in the vehicle or they had a, a, a ride in a race car, when when a car is going way faster than what your body would deem comfortable, and you get that feeling, that force, you're feeling it on your body, like that's instant. It's not with a gas car. You, you put your foot on the gas, and as the transmission shifts or you shift, you feel it start to build. It goes from zero to ah, real fast, and so. I, I don't think people comprehend it yet. I think that once they, they ride it, once they experience it, some people are going to love it. Like they're going to be hooked on it. And some people aren't, I think the idea is amazing. I, I do think most EVs are ugly, but I can't afford one. So I can be picky. <laughs> well, now they're primarily many of them are within the same ranges as internal combustion. But well, the point of today is to, is to say in our lifetime, and I'm speaking to everybody who can hear this right now, at least, while we're recording if this lasts forever then maybe not but in our lifetime these these technologies are all going to work together they're all going to be in our lives in some facet in some way we're going to see some shrink some grow we don't know which one the betamax is yet we don't know which pieces of technology are going to fall off the planet because someone did a better marketing job on another and and there's still maybe new ones to join so having the fight, having the argument about which mode of transportation or which way will supply horsepower is invalid. There's no reason to do it. All you're doing is making you and that person angry, and anger doesn't solve a thing. The, the focus should be on improvement. If you are highly focused on emissions, make the best decisions that you can with, with the resources you have. We talk about this time in and time out at Realistic Sustainability. Knowing is quite literally half the battle. The other half is just making the best decisions you can in your lifetime and being a good example for those who are watching you. That is it. We do not have to fight the global battle. We do not have, there is no value in being that voice on the internet. I used to think that too. I'm giving everybody an alternative voice. Well, the people on the internet are not the actual people. These are their avatars, if you will their alter egos. You are only going to convince probably zero, maybe one, but that's not likely. It's not worth the blood pressure. Be an example. Do the best you can. I still drive an internal combustion engine. Matter of fact, an older one because I I, I want to. And at some point I will move to another technology. We do not have to, you know, do things because it's expected. We will do what we can when we can't. Don't feel bad if you can't. I'm kind of just speaking in general now. The goal is to think about our decisions and make the best ones possible. Right now, I'm not sure there is a decision that you can make when it comes to transportation that one is better than the other. Maybe in attributes or things you enjoy, 
if you were to buy a new car today, you might go electric because it's either A, because it's electric, or B, because of its performance. But does it make you a bad person if you go out and buy an internal combustion? No, they're consistently working exceptionally hard to reduce emissions and stay far below the current standards. And it's going to improve year after year, generation after generation. Unfortunately, like I said, we've got some industry leaders that almost have to retire or pass away for us to make some progress. So that's what I wanted to do in this episode is kind of just explain some of the technologies, have a little discussion and realize that these are all going to live together. These are all in our lifetime going to have a role in what we do. We just have to be selective and not lose our sanity in the argument. Sometimes I, I get lost on my own thoughts because there's a lot of things I'd like to say, but you generally are on, you know, on pace of saying what I'm going to say. I just want to kind of pound home the notion that like the point of this podcast isn't to, to villainize anyone and say there's, there's an absolute right or an absolute wrong. You have to make the best choices for your lifestyle and your family, the ones that are going to work the best and the ones that are going to stick. And so if, if you don't have a reason to, to really go to EV route or anything like that right now, and, and you, you're, you believe that the internal combustion is the best option you have, and that's okay. And I think that's kind of like, like I said, the point of our podcast. It's a little bit, little bit, big bit. We're not trying to you know pull the rug out from under people and, and tell them that you know they're 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 destroying the earth. We're not here to demonize. We're here to educate and to kind of have fun and keep it real and practical, so people understand that you know we're a we're real people too. But b you know it, we're never going to make a change by demanding it. We have to be the change we want to see. And in this case, the change is try to help people's mindset. We, we want people to understand that it's okay to not, to not understand. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And that's as much as I wanted to give some information on technology and kind of clear the concept that we're not going to see this massive change that none of these options are a hundred percent flawless. And it's the, the idea of mental growth and learning that is the most value. I want to make sure that we also, in a sense, protect our own mental health. Those fights that I see on there aren't needed. They're usually arguments over half-known facts, uh, half-known fiction. And like you were talking about, the video you saw with the guy with the Tesla has been constantly discussed. And, you know, and one group passed around everywhere as the panic of the future. And another group like, hey, by the way, here's the warranty. Here's the stuff. Here's what it would cost. And here's the difference between other stuff. It's really in line. Then none of that stuff matters. It's noise. It's all noise. We, we continue to learn. We continue to get better. And we continue to do the best we can with, with the resources we have and calm, calm this through example. So that's all we had for this week. Uh, if you, if you liked this episode, share it with a friend, family, or maybe even post it on social media. If you want to help realistic sustainability, of course, five-star reviews. Huge fan. Go to Apple iTunes and leave us a five-star review. And if you think that this program or this show offers some value in your life, then you can go to greeningyourlife.org forward slash podcast. And that is where you can see, you know, some of the stuff about us here uh, at Realistic Sustainability. You can read about Nick or I. You can listen to some of our bloopers because I'll be cutting things out of this episode that are probably going to end up over there. <laughs> it's true. And and that is also where you can donate to the show. 99 cents, 4.99, 9.99, whatever you choose to. We do greatly appreciate it. And remember, we only get together each week. 
to get a little bit better. Just like the show said today, little bit, little bit, big bit. I'm Mike. And I'm Nick. And we will see you next week. 